So how are you supporting creators on the Vimeo side? Well, we are in this really unique situation. We sit at the intersection of community, storytelling, data, and the tools to unlock all of them. And let me, I want to break that down a little bit. From a community standpoint, we have a community of 175 million of the most talented creators. And I use creators because it's a good way to describe anyone that's creating content with video. And they're doing that through telling a story. And a story could be, is told through the form of video that could drive their business. It could be a mission video. It could be a product video that tells why your product features are great. Or it could be an amazingly artistic documentary told by a talented filmmaker. And because of this community and storytelling, we sit on an enormous amount of data, right? So we know what video works on Facebook versus YouTube. And if I'm a small business and I am a pizza place, what type of videos do I have to put on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter to work and promote my business that drives engagement? And once you know what the inspiration of great storytelling looks like, what are the videos that work and the types of videos that work from types of content to length and platforms, we have to unlock that, right? We have to make it accessible. And that's really where we sit at the center of it. Our job is to make video accessible to people who thought it was inaccessible. And we've spoken to an enormous amount of small businesses. What do they struggle with? They they are on Instagram and Facebook and they scroll through the feed and they see videos there and they see it's compelling. Everyone, I think there's no doubt that video is the most engaging medium yeah. on these platforms. What the doubt comes into is their ability to deliver video. Either they feel it's too expensive, it's too complicated, they don't have the skill set yeah. to do it. And that's where Vimeo serves a real purpose of unlocking that, making it feel cost effective and efficient and accessible. Hi, I'm Harris Bieber, the Chief Marketing Officer of Vimeo, and you're watching Behind the Brand with Brian Elliott. This episode is brought to you by my friends at Very, the creators of the famous stand up Veridesk and other office furniture. If you're like me, you're suddenly working from home. My best productivity tip is to set up a dedicated workspace. My comfy couch or the kitchen table so close to the refrigerator and snacks wasn't really working for me. So I recently set up a fully loaded home office setup using office furniture pieces from Barry, and now I've got a whole mission control in a separate room for my kids and the dogs ready to roll. Barry has everything you need to transform your home workspace, from desks, ergonomic chairs, and converters that transform any table in your home into a standing desk. Right now, you can save 10% off Very Home Office products with the code WFH2020. That's WFH2020. See the full collection and save at Very.com. That's V-A-R-I.com and use the code WFH2020 and check out to save 10%. Now let's get back to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Behind the Brand. Today I'm here with Vimeo Chief Marketing Officer, Harris Bieber. Harris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I usually ask my guests, how did you get this job? It's a good question. Uh, the answer is going to sound simple, but in the execution of it is probably a little bit different. I got it by saying yes. and. It started with simply taking a phone call from a recruiter at Vimeo saying, we have a role, are you interested? And every inclination in my body was to say no, 
I, my background's in e-commerce. I'm, I have a retail background. I don't really have a SaaS or tech background or a media background. Are you sure you have the right person? I said <laughs> those words to the recruiter and he said, yes, uh, I think you'd enjoy speaking with our CEO. And I went against my instinct of saying no and said yes. And I had coffee with our CEO, who's now a great friend and a leader that I look up to, Anjali Sood. Um, but it started with saying yes. And I, the reason why I bring that up is because I think almost every one of my unlocks in my career or my success in life came from saying yes. From my first job at 1-800-Flowers, I would say yes to every single program that I was offered. Even if it was outside my responsibility, it was in a different department, I wanted to immerse myself in the business and learn all there was to know about it. And that foundation of saying yes, that were outside of my comfort zone, outside of my responsibilities, really instilled in myself an understanding of how businesses work. And it made me a better marketer, it made me a better leader, it made me a better employee. And I took that with me throughout every part of my career, whether it was starting my own business to different jobs and functions, and I think, I am the best at what I do because every aspect of the business is important to me and I love learning about it. There's nothing I don't like immersing myself into. So it was a long-winded answer to your question. Saying yes is, is, is the start to how I took, got this job. I love that advice. Uh, there's a lot there that I wanted to unpack a little bit. Um, I wanted to hear about your reservations. What you're sort of alluding to in a roundabout way is saying that you there's sort of this imposter syndrome or at least you know glimpses of it creeping in where you say well you know I, i'm not a director or producer i've never worked in the movie business you know i don't i don't maybe have all this uh, experience you know in this area or that area what advice can you give to people who may be thinking that right now like yeah it's easy to say yes i would do it but like when those honest feelings of can i do it yeah will i do it do i want to do it yes i want to but can i pull this off those are two different things right um what advice do you have about people who might be struggling with that the answer is very few people regret doing something regret often comes from not doing something you wish you had and can you I do agree. it the answer is probably uncertain. I think people don't give themselves enough credit. Imposter syndrome is horrible in the fact that it keeps people from doing more things, taking on new challenges, but it is a great motivator. I think if you get too comfortable in what you're great at or you think you know everything, your ambition ceases, you're pushing yourself, expanding uh, where you head in the world, kind of stops, your expansion stops. So saying yes to being the things you're uncomfortable with often leads to greatness or great learnings, right? And learnings right. could come in the form of success or failures. As long as you learn from it and you push yourself, uh, that's to me where the, the real excitement comes from. And I say yes to things I'm uncomfortable with all the time. I doubt myself all mm -hmm. the time. Uh, I think doubt is what motivates me. That fear of not succeeding keeps me on my toes daily, right? And I don't know everything. And I think as soon as I think I know everything, there'll be someone smarter in the room that knows more than me. And trusting that and, and, and being comfortable with not knowing everything is something that comes with experience. But that's where getting comfortable with uncomfortable uh, was really important for me. And it took me a while. I say that with ease now, but there is probably 70% of my career where I was not comfortable. The doubt overtook me in such situations, but it was the regret of not doing something that stuck with me more than the fear of trying something that I thought I would fail at. Yeah, I agree with you. I think um, 
the other thing that's not been mentioned is that it sounds like you had to do this repetitively. It's almost like, you know, the first time you try pull-ups, you know, and you're, if you don't have calluses on your hands, you're probably going to get some blisters and it's going to hurt. The only way to get better, guitar playing is the same way, right? You got to condition your fingers and get them tough. Otherwise, they really hurt and bleed and all that. And that's really the only way around any of this hard stuff that we're talking about is to do it, to fail at it, or, you know, try your best and get better. Um, I'll give you an example. My wife is, you know, she has more talent in her little finger than I have in my whole body. She's an artist. Um, she happens to have a little furniture restoration business, but she does not like uncertainty. She does not like surprises. She does not like um, to go in some place or be unprepared. It's just her DNA, it's her makeup. And so she's one of these types that's like ready, aim, 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 you know, like a hundred more times and then she'll take the shot. Whereas like I take the shot, I ask for forgiveness, not for permission. And um, I mean, that may be a skill that I've developed over time, just out of necessity, back to uh, bring it full circle. But I do agree with you. You know, the more we do it, it's like a muscle. It can, it can get stronger. And you really just have to work that muscle out until, you know, you get the strength to do it all the time. Yeah, I agree. I couldn't agree more. I think the best leaders I've seen are comfortable with the uncertainty. And the reason why I bring that up is the reality is the world is uncertain. As soon as yeah. you think you figured it out, Google changes their algorithm or the market changes or someone releases a new product that competes with yours for half, half the price. So the world is uncertain. And if you could be uncomfortable with uncertainty, but trust your instincts to solve problems, that's where you really kind of find your flow, right? And that takes practice because uncomfortable is just that uncomfortable. There's a reason why silence is uncomfortable. So you speak, right? If you're in that uncomfortable moment, uh, your instinct is to flee it. But if you could just sit with it, and trust your instincts to react, uh, you could cry, come up with great solutions to tough problems. So I can also kind of hear my audience chirping in the background saying, well, that's easy for a CMO to say, you know, you're in charge, you're in the C-suite. You know, what about the rest of us who are, you know, in you know, VPs or we're managers? And, you know, if we make mistakes, we get punished or worse, you know, we get let go. Um, What's the culture like at Vimeo and how would you like, maybe let's talk leadership for a minute. How would you suggest we promote and advocate for this kind of change to happen? You know, like how can we encourage people to feel comfortable about uncertainty or feel comfortable about making mistakes um, when maybe their culture is not like that right now? I think the best way to be comfortable with making mistakes is knowing your intention of going into it, right? And Vimeo does have this great culture. We are very direct. We are comfortable with failure, but we are outcome focused. Was the failure in search of an outcome that was a shared goal that everyone was going for and you just didn't hit the mark? That's something that every single leader from an employee to manager is encouraged. Now, were mistakes made because you were careless? You didn't think through it? You just tried something without giving thought with what you're trying to achieve? I would say that is the wrong way you should operate. So failure is is different, right? How, how did you fail and why did you fail and what did you learn from the failure is 
all in the details and that's what matters if you have a culture that's focused on the outcome we have a shared goal we're going to go after the goal and by the way the goal should be appropriately ambitious or else you're not moving the needle and the bigger you are as a company the bigger the goal has to get or else it just doesn't make an impact and then the bigger the goal are is the likely that you're going to fail is goes up exponentially so if it's going towards that shared outcome you have intention behind it. You have you set a goal. You said this is what we expect to see, and then we don't achieve those results. But this is what we learned. I'll take that every day. I'll take a team full of failures like that. If they just were trying things because they didn't know what they were success looked like, or they don't know what they were going after, and there's lots of failures that pile up, that to me is where there's room for improvement and learning. That is probably not the type of failures that any culture should encourage, in my opinion, at least. Yeah. I mean, if you don't know what Vimeo is, you're living in a cave, but can you break it down for us? How would you describe it? How do you see Vimeo as your product offering your platform? For much of the world, they see Vimeo as a viewing destination. And that's for a long period of our history. We we were, we are, are, have always been a source of amazing talent that creates amazing stories told through video. But over the last few years, we've invested so much more in our community, and we are really a platform that enables people to succeed with video. And what success looks like is different for the different users that we serve. If you're a filmmaker, it might be reaching audience, and audience is everywhere. If you're a small business, it's unlocking the ability to create short-form videos to promote your business and help you grow on social media platforms. If you're an enterprise, it's having a no-fail, secure, live stream to your employees that are distributed across the world. Now that was a much smaller group of employees before the global pandemic. That is every company that has a distributed workforce today as we're forced to work remotely. Um, and there's lots of segments in between, but our mission, our goal is to help businesses succeed and grow with video. Uh, and that's where we, our purpose that we serve in the world. So how are you helping them? I know it's maybe an obvious question. Um, you're providing the platform. In, in many ways, I mean, like some of these other either substitutes or competitors, let's look at Google, for example. You know, Google doesn't make anything. You know, YouTube doesn't make anything. They just provide a platform for creators to come and show up and then put their art there. So how are you supporting creators on the Vimeo side? Well, we are in this really unique situation. We sit at the intersection of community, storytelling, data, and the tools to unlock all of them. And let me, yeah. I wanna break that down a little bit. From a community standpoint, we have a community of 175 million of the most talented creators. And I use creators because it's a good way to describe anyone that's creating content with yeah. video. Yeah. And they're doing that through telling a story. And a story yeah. could be, is told through the form of video that could drive their business. It could be a mission video. It could be a product video that tells why your product features are great. Or it could be an amazingly artistic, documentary told by a talented filmmaker. And because of this community and storytelling, we sit on an enormous amount of data, right? So we know what video works on Facebook versus YouTube. And if I'm a small business and I am a pizza place, what type of videos do I have to put on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter to work and promote my business that drives engagement? And once you know what the inspiration of great storytelling looks like, what are the videos that work and the types of videos that work from types of content to length and platforms, we have to unlock that, right? We have to make it accessible. And that's really where we sit at the center of it. Our job is to make 
video accessible to people who thought it was inaccessible. And we've spoken to an enormous amount of small businesses. What do they struggle with? They, they are on Instagram and Facebook and they scroll through the feed and they see videos there and they see it's compelling. Everyone, I think there's no doubt that video is the most engaging medium yeah. on these platforms. What the doubt comes into is their ability to deliver video. Either they feel it's too expensive, it's too complicated, they don't have the skill set yeah. to do it. And that's where Vimeo serves a real purpose of unlocking that, making it feel cost effective and efficient and accessible. Well, let's get more specific and tactical. What are yeah. some of the themes that you see, sort of either best practices or some specifics? What's working and what's not working? And let's let's frame it in a case study of a small business owner who's got a product or service and they're interested in you know, Instagram or Facebook, a social platform like that? So I've said this a lot uh, to my team, authenticity is the most important thing. At the sure. end of the day, if you're a small business or brand, your customers are buying from you because they believe you as a business owner, they believe in your purpose as a store. Uh, if it's just a 99 cent slice of pizza, in Manhattan on the corner versus across the street and it's 98 cents. That's that's hard to compete against when it's price only, but being able to authentically tell your story, why people should believe and buy from you. So, and that comes easy. That's yeah. just being you and yourself. Yeah. Um, but what's working is creating content. And that is the biggest inhibitor to what's not working. People are afraid <laughs> to get started. They're afraid yeah. of, it, of it not being perfect. I don't know what I'm doing. So that fear just paralyzes them and they don't create anything. And what yeah. we're seeing is the people that are succeeding, this goes back to what we spoke about earlier. It's a muscle, they're learning, right? You're not gonna get it perfect. Yeah. And the great thing about social media platforms is things, there's a lot of content on them. Things have a really short self life. I think the stat on Facebook is 75% uh, of your views happen in the first four days. So what you put out on Monday isn't there on Friday anymore. So just yeah. keep creating content and learn, see what resonates with your community, your customers, which by the way, is gonna be different for you as it is for a different, different company or small business. I'm curious, so you say that you are learning from your community watching, so how are you learning? Um, is it because of this, you know, proprietary Vimeo analytics? Um, is it because the sheer volume and you're just like, you're doing all this uh, intuitive research? Like, how are you learning and how are you, how are you getting all this data? Like what the key learnings? The short answer, it's all of the above. It's a mix between quantitative and qualitative. Okay. So the most important thing we have, as I mentioned, hundreds of millions of videos on our platform. People are uploading videos every day right. and it's all different segments. So there's right. a lot of data in that. Sure. But, but there is the qualitative of speaking to small businesses that are both using video on Vimeo, small businesses that are doing video in different ways, but and how, how are they doing it? How are they finding success? And then there's the people that are not doing video and why are they not? Do they wanna be doing video? What are the motivators? And it's a combination of the quantitative of looking at our data, what's actually working on different platforms, what are the type of videos, what gets the most engagement, what doesn't, yeah. and then speaking with people. You can't replace that qualitative, of actually speaking to people, understanding their struggles, yeah. what is preventing them and what is working. And yeah. so I think it's a, a nice mix of left brain and right brain there. Well, the reason I was digging a little bit because so I use several different platforms for my content. I've been a Vimeo Pro user for the last decade. And I think, you know, it's been my go-to as a production company, as a, you know, all the commercial work that we do and, and all that. And, and then I also use YouTube. 
And so what do you say to the creator who's like, here's Vimeo, here's YouTube, what's the difference? You know, why should I use one over the other? What are the, what are the benefits? Well, first of all, thank you. Yeah. I'm glad to have you for a decade. Yeah, and I, and I can weigh in on my opinion too to tell you why I use one and not the other and vice versa, but I would love to hear it from the source. The short answer is you should do both. And by the way, you should be doing more than YouTube and Vimeo. And I'll give you the reason why that, and this comes true to every business, no matter the industry I've been is, it is great to say, I have a website, it's beautiful. I want you to come visit my website and do everything with me where I want you to be and I wanna control right. every aspect of it. Yeah. That's just not the way the world works. Right. And as a brand, a business, a big company, a little company, your responsibility is to meet your customers, whatever they might be, where they are yeah. and provide real value and need where they are. Yeah. So that well means said. if they're consuming content on YouTube, put your videos on YouTube. If they're on Facebook, be on Facebook. Yeah. If they're on your website, be it there, be everywhere because your customers are everywhere and not all of them are in every place. So if you wanna have engagement with your at the broadest audience possible is make sure you're meeting them where they are in their moment of need and serve real value to them in those moments. Yeah, and how about if I'm how about if I need to pick either or? Like if I have one or the other, if I'm if it's Coke versus Pepsi, if it's, you know, uh, McDonald's versus Burger King, if it's Facebook, I'm sorry, if it's YouTube versus Vimeo, like I got to choose one or the other. Like help uh, help the creators. You're talking to the creators now. Yep. Um, what do they need to know? I, I I get asked this question almost every day by the way, Harris. Like um, we're a brand, we're in this creative meeting. Well, Okay, we're creating this content, whether it's a you know an ori original story or series, or it's branded content, or maybe it's a commercial. Brian, where should we put this? Should it be on Vimeo or should it go on YouTube? If I just have to pick one, you know, what do you say? I think I would stop, and this is probably a horrible response, but I'd ask the question, answer the question with the question: What is your goal? Yeah. What are you trying to achieve? with this video and then from there that informs how you best succeed yeah. at, at that goal so if it is reaching an audience youtube has one of the biggest audiences in the world and it's high intent search driven audiences if you are creating a how-to video of how to fix a sink and you're a plumber and you want to get customers you should be on youtube with that video by the way you should also be on facebook as well and you don't have to choose between them so um but if your goal is to have a fully customized branded experience, it's going to live on your website. You don't want ads serving before your mission video and you want to have full control of what that message is and you want it to match your branding and aesthetic. You should be using Vimeo because Vimeo has the most beautiful customizable player in the world mm -hmm. and it gives you that full control and it doesn't have any ads as part of it. And it mm -hmm. really depends on what your needs are. And that's just one area of a player, right? I give one instance in a use case. There's hundreds of those. and. You should also ask yourself, what type of content am I creating? Is it short form? Is it an ad? Do I want to drive traffic to my website? Then I should be on Facebook and it should be a really short, quick, engaging video. Am I telling my mission, my purpose in the world? And do I have to tell this really powerful storytelling? It should be on your website. It should be there. It should be proliferated and it should live for a long time in a clean aesthetic that you have full control over. So. That is an incomplete answer to one that has infinite answers, but I think you really start with the why of what are you trying to achieve? And from there, I'll give you 20 different ways that you could achieve that goal. I love that you started with the why. 
Well, I start with the why as well. It's all about the strategy. It's all about backing into what your goal is. Well said. Thank you for that. Um, one of my favorite features on Vimeo, side note, is the ease in which you can overwrite an old video and make it a new one, refresh it, and you don't have to change the link. It's gold. That's my favorite, one of my favorite features. Because, yeah, you know, not only do you not have to change the link, you keep all your analytics, you see engagement, yeah. by the way, you could see engagement over time. So did you cut your edit if you're a, a brand and you, you made it shorter, you yeah. put something in the front and you could see the performance, but it's all historical yeah. and you don't have to change it. So it lives in the world forever. Yeah. And I love the privacy or, you know, if you want to, if you want to create a walled garden, um, you can do that. I, I think there's lots and lots of good reasons why I use it. Um, and I'm a professional and I think, you know, most professionals in our industry are using it. It's a go-to, um, this is not meant to be a tongue bath or, you know, like, uh, all that, but I'm a fan and I'm a user. So, um, thank you. Thank you for being a fan and user. It goes to a great use case, right? You're, you create videos, uh, you don't always get them right at first, you get feedback on them, you don't, it's not ready for the world day one, but you share a link privately, you could get in video feedback and collaboration on it, you go back and forth with annotations that are time coded in the video. Yeah. And if you're a video professional or a creative, or you're a marketer who has a manager or CEO that needs to see the video, and that is all done in private behind the scenes. And then when yeah. you're ready for the world to see it, you have a different strategy. Yeah. Well, and I'll even tell you a practical application to the overwrite feature, which is I have a, a video on YouTube. It's got like a million plus views. So it's done reasonably well. A lot of people have seen it. And a few months ago, I got a copyright claim because the, the, the music that we used like four years ago changed ownership hands and now we no longer apparently have the license. I think we have the license. I have a writing and I can send it to YouTube and let them know that the claim is not valid. But we all know where that's going. It goes into the abyss when you send YouTube a message. They're not responsive. They don't get back to you. Does, it even, does anyone even work there? It's just like this nebulous abyss. But anyway, um, I digress a little bit. It would have been nice to be able to overwrite that same file, not lose all those views and all that engagement and you know all that social proof and just upload a new version of the video with new music that's not flagged for copyright so we can continue to monetize the video and, and not you know go through all the hassle of that. So it's a small thing that makes a big difference, at least to me. Um, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the marketing that you've done. I know over the years you've teamed up teamed up with other creators, like the Duplass brothers comes to mind. Are you doing this kind of original content push? What are you guys doing in that space? Uh, no, we're serving squarely as a platform for the people behind the camera, for lack of a better word. So the creators of content are, is who we serve. Everything we do is in service of them. How do we make them successful? So less about the content they're creating and more about the tools we could build to help them people and individuals succeed with video. Now, that doesn't mean we don't serve our community. So there's lots of ways that we've developed, uh, both from a marketing standpoint and in service of them to help them get more work. So we launched a for hire platform that has, it's free for anyone on our platform. You can make yourself available. If you're an editor, a motion graphics editor, and you're a company that's like, hey, I need to make a video, you just search on there and for free, you could find people that have that skill set around the world yeah. to help make your film. That's in service of our community. Was that your idea? 
It was not my idea. I love it. It's oh. something that actually was our community's idea. And let me explain by that. Some of the best ideas come from our community of individuals. Yeah. People were doing this organically. They were messaging on videos. They were saying, hey, I love this edit. I need to shoot something. Are you available for work? So this interaction was happening on our platform through messages anyway. And we said, if this is happening, if people are going to the trouble of doing a not great user experience to connect with each other, let's make it seamless and frictionless and get out of their way and help people connect better. Yeah, next week I have Scott Belsky on the on the show, and Scott, that's what happened at Behance, right? Like um, Behance became this place, this community for artists, um, and it's almost you know what LinkedIn is doing, uh, or it's exactly what LinkedIn is doing, but it's very specific to creatives. I think it's brilliant, and good on you guys for picking up on you know the needs and the wants of the community. I think it's super super smart. Yeah, there's a, a part in the platform where it's how do you support your community with what their needs are and be an advocate for them so we don't monetize that? Um, and where do you serve real tools and give real value that you charge for? And there's a balance there of supporting your community so they could thrive and then giving them only charging for the real differentiated utilization tools that we offer. Have you guys explored the monetization aspect of it? Um, are, are you guys thinking about content creator monetization or you know maybe break down what you're doing in that area to help incentivize creators and i only bring that up because youtube you know as a, as a youtube creator that is i mean if if you go into this you know content arena thinking that you're going to be able to monetize your content it's not a great business model let's face it and especially you know pennies on the dollar that you're going to earn from youtube especially when you start is not a good strategy but over time now you know um and i just did this vi this video on this I did kind of a case study of how my cpms went from like four dollars up to now forty dollars cpm with just a few little tweaks of the metadata changing the category i'm in and some little tweaks that you know got me recognized in the algorithm and on that single video i i made about twenty five thousand dollars which you know, for an independent creator, that's huge. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like a quarter quarter of like a documentary film budget, a smaller film budget that I might work on. Um, and that's just one video. I have 600 videos. And so talk to us about what Vimeo is doing for creators to help, you know, fund our projects and monetize our work. We do have monetization tools where we have a great OTT platform, which is the worst name for a very functional <laughs> product that no one has come up with a better name. It stands for over the top in case people are yeah. uh, wondering. But what it is in more consumer friendly terms is Netflix is an OTT. It's any subscription service yeah. or service where you serve content. And we have a back end system that lets any creator of content build their own suite of apps that works across every platform Amazon Fire, iOS, Android, your own standalone app. And you could put all your content in there. If you are a fitness instructor and you are doing remote classes, if you're a yoga instructor, you build out your content network of classes. People pay you a subscription fee per month and you have your own branded app. No one even knows that Vimeo is powering that. And that is one of many ways you can monetize videos. The other is enabling them to get the right video and insight and put them put their work out in the world to succeed on on. YouTube. So we have a publish to social feature, which is exceptional. You you sign into your platforms, one click of a button, you publish your 
video natively to every platform, but all those analytics of the different platforms sit within Vimeo and seeing what succeeds, what works, because what works as we discussed on Facebook is different than on YouTube and then different engagement points and adjusting your videos to work on the individual platforms and succeed depending on how you want to monetize them uh, or other ways. But we are not in the funding content game. We are in the supporting creators of content with the tools they need to be successful with the content that they create. Talk more about the apps, uh, because I had no idea. I mean, I, I fancy myself a power user, and yet I think I'm only like in first gear of this, you know, like V12 engine. Help me understand that. How does it work? Yeah, it's... It is great. So you work, you can work with the team. We have a self-serve model where you can set it up yourself. If you have more robust, it goes on what platforms do you want to be on? Does this, you have, do I have to and, develop the apps or like you have like a plug and play? Nope. That is plug and play. You put the branding. So you have to put the creative assets you want uh, behind the brand on it. If you want to do a series and you have all the different episodes in there, you have to create the content. We give you the technology platform to help you succeed and we help you publish it. It gets published natively on your app account. So when you're an Apple developer, you have your Apple account, it goes okay. on your app account. We are not publishing for you, but we make it seamless for you to launch that business. And uh, there's everyone from a small fitness instructor to very large brands are using this and the use cases are vast. It could be internal education. You're an educator, you're selling content and you wanna monetize that. So you teach courses. Yeah. You could be a fitness instructor, as I mentioned. Uh, or you could be doing an internal use case where you're doing all your onboarding for employee training and you're not monetizing it, but you're using the platform because to make people comfortable engaging with the content in the ways they're used to. Everyone watches Netflix, everyone watches Amazon TV. So how do you want them consuming your content? And we create native ways for them to do that, uh, for anybody to do that really seamlessly. I love it. I think, I think what I love about the, so I, I also have an audio podcast and I use this service called Libsyn. What I love about Libsyn is I can push one button and it syndicates to 12 different places. I think maybe my dream, if I'm talking to the decision maker, my wish, if you can grant my wish someday, it would be that I don't have to apply for the Apple developer kit and the Amazon Fire developer kit, that basically you have a Libsyn style, you know, press one and it syndicates to all kind of option that would be yeah ideal. we do have that you we, do we have that so you have to create your account just like you have to have an account with all the the, the podcast destinations yeah so you know where we we, know, we have to know where to send the content okay your responsibility our job is to enable creators to make amazing content whether that's a short 15 second social ad or yeah. a long documentary or everything in between and then create the seamless way to reach your audience wherever that may be and if okay. that's an app ecosystem all you have to do is you, you set it up, we get the app set up, and then every time you're loading new content, it is distributed across Tizen, across Amazon, iOS, Android, or your own branded ecosystem on your website. Okay, I gotta get with that program because it sounds like I'm missing out. That's... And, yeah, and if you have audience, which you do, right, and you have views on that, it's do you, have, do you have audience and you wanna monetize it or do you have to find audience? And that's where it goes to what is your goal? YouTube is a great place for you to find audience. It's the number one search driven aside from product search. If you go, it's, it's one of the top three search engines in the world and people are searching for content there. So if you want to create content and find audience, that's a great place to be. If you already have an audience like you do and you wanna monetize that for a, a small subscription fee and you're giving them real unique content, you could probably make more money from a much smaller group of people 
who are loyal advocates of your content than having to have millions and millions of views. Right. And to your point, if you've got all this capability to plug into any app network, it's really also about diversifying that portfolio. You can, with your help, be in a lot more places than just one. Yeah, I have found video production editors are exceptional at making great videos. They're not always the best app developers. So let us be the technology yeah. platform that keeps up with platform updates and the tech and making that seamless. And let's the people that we serve do what they do great, which is making great videos. I had no idea. Thank you for letting me know. As soon as we hang up this call, I'm I'm going to get on that. Or maybe if you know someone at Vimeo, you can help I me out. I will connect you with someone. I know a few people at Vimeo. <laughs> that would be nice. Uh, how about the bandwidth? Let's Can we talk about the bandwidth? So in the past, I think Vimeo gets sort of a bad rep for it not having the best bandwidth all the time. Has that been addressed? What would you say about that? Yeah, I think we're always working on that. We've yeah. done enormous amounts of our, our quality of service that we always improve on. We're actually known for our quality. We were the first on the internet to have HDR. We have 4K. So we have beautiful streaming experience. It's true. There is a tough thing is the world's bandwidth is very different. Right. So is it a streaming issue or a viewing issue? And that's that doesn't matter if you're a user watching a video. It's only does the video playback seamlessly and you, those nuances don't very matter from a customer viewing experience, but we're always working on that. We work on our back end, where are we serving the content from? Is it getting served internationally and where's the viewer? And always balancing that. It is way beyond my intelligence level, but we have some of the most talented engineers in the world that that's all they do. They live and breathe quality. Yeah, actually that's, that's a really important point that maybe me and others overlook is that you have all these tiers of quality, whether, you know, you uploaded a pure 4K HD, full res, you know, 4,000 pixel, uh, picture, you know, video or less, right? And you have all these tiers to choose from. Whereas YouTube, you know, you upload it, it crunches it immediately down to like a four, you know, 400 plus pixel image, you know, it's all blackened and saturated and, and that's why they're built, you know, they're built for that kind of wherever you are, whatever kind of wretched internet connection you have, you can likely get a video on YouTube to play. But it's apples to oranges or maybe oranges to watermelons. I'm not sure. But yeah, the picture quality cannot be understated. The, the options there. Uh, and, the, and having full control, right? Yeah, you yeah, want to be able to control that. Well, yeah, and that's what we tell our clients is don't watch it on the web. You know, it's easier to just download whatever version you want so you can watch what you can really see what you're going to get. Play it right on your desktop or cast it to a TV. It's like you'll see what the commercial is going to look like on TV or the, you know, the show is going to look like. And that's a true representation, you know, not a crunch down, uh, res down version. It's a super good point. It always goes to what your outcome is. Are you creating a two-hour cinematic masterpiece or are you creating a 10-second pre-roll social ad? There's different levels of qualities there because it's being consumed. It's being consumed on a two-inch screen versus, you know, a hundred-foot screen. There's there's full uh, levels across that spectrum. Um, but it's something that I will say that we focus on every day. There's people that live and breathe it because the beauty of technology is innovations happening daily. The quality is getting better. 5G is rolling out on mobile devices, which will be faster bandwidth. That some of these constraints that we have from quality won't even be a thought five years from now, right? You'll have yeah. so much bandwidth that you can watch at any any quality. Yeah. I remember 
you know, finishing up college with a computer in my closet and dialing up, you know, this is 1999. And I remember those speeds where the website would load, you know, one piece at a time and all that. You're right. I think once we get to the bandwidth that we're all dreaming of, this will be ancient history. We'll look back on it like we do the first cell phone, like a big brick. Um, yeah. Sort of to wrap things up here, Harris, um, I think I sort of already know the answer to this question. I certainly have my own opinions. But for us creators who are thinking about, you know, how do we captivate people, cap, keep their attention, um, build audience, can we talk a little bit about like runtime, short form, short form versus long form? It's a wrestle that I've had with people for a decade. Um, when we first started, long form was not popular and we did it anyway. Um, so do you have like from any key learnings or your metrics or, you know, if you're talking to other creators about, well, you should create, you know, a 15 minute video, not a 30 minute video because you want to weigh in on this, give your opinion. Yeah, it's going to be, it might sound like a hedge, but it is, it is, depends is really the answer. Yeah. Where are you reaching? Where are they consuming that content? Is it on the go? Is it on a social platform? Is it an Instagram story? Is it on YouTube? Is it on YouTube TV? Or what is your goal with it? And I think there's, we've, everyone's over indexed. There's stat that everyone knows is the first three seconds is what matters. If you're creating short form video, you catch their attention in three seconds or they've already scrolled by you or skipped, skipped your ad. So that matters. The story arc on, on, on mobile is very different than long form, yeah. but there is a place, and we've proven this in our approach to go to marketing. Uh, we've proven this numerous times that long form could actually perform better than short form if it's the right long form, yeah. right? If you're telling a story that authentically captures the audience, it's not about selling, it's about showing the value. It's great storytelling that the product isn't the focus, but it's at the core, it's underneath. And when you could have compelling storytelling, there is great value in doing long form. One of the most recent examples or a more recent example that I, I love is Apple at Work uh, did an amazing long form video. I think it's a six minute video, but it was compelling. It had great story. It was funny. Uh, they did a version more recently, Apple at Work from Home, which was a follow up story on that. And that was when do you see a marketing video is at seven minutes, but it has, I think, you know, 50 million views because it was great storytelling. Mm -hmm. So there is a place for short form. There is a place for long form, knowing what you're trying to achieve, where you're serving that content and what your audience is ready to consume. All of that matters. So the answer is all of the above. It just depends. Yeah, that would have been my answer too. Uh, and then final thoughts, you know, to the, the freelance and entrepreneurial creative community. What is your best advice? Uh, that's a that's a great question. Let me think. Let me think about that. It's very broad. I think for anyone is you need to show your value as whether you're a freelancer or a big business. It's understanding the problems you're trying to solve and then authentically demonstrating your value. And that is different for every scenario. So if you're a freelancer looking to get work, you need to understand what the customer is looking for. What is your client looking for? If they have to drive business goals, show them how you create videos or compelling artwork that delivers business results. Know who you're you're speaking to, understand what their problems are and make them your problems, and then show them and demonstrate how you solve the problems. You will always succeed in whatever your endeavor is if you solve who you serve 
their problems, right? That's what you. That's why we exist. That's why Vimeo exists. Our job is to help creators succeed with video. That is our sole purpose. Every engineer, every marketer, every product person is focused on that day in and day out from quality of video streaming to the tools that we build. And we are in service of our community. And if you are a small business or a freelancer, don't forget you serve your customers. They don't come to where you are or where you want them to be. You have to meet them where they are and demonstrate your value.